but how would you like to undertake manual labour? I'll be bound you wouldn't be a house porter or a factory hand. You're too genteel for that. What things you say, really, said the beggar, and he gave a bitter smile. How can I get manual work? It's rather late for me to be a shopman, for in trade one has to begin from a boy. No one would take me as a house porter because I'm not of that class, and I couldn't get work in a factory. One must know a trade, and I know nothing. Nonsense! You always find some justification. Wouldn't you like to chop wood? I'd not refuse to, but the regular wood choppers are out of work now. Oh, all idlers argue like that. As soon as you're off at anything, you refuse it. Would you care to chop wood for me? Well, certainly I will. Very good. We shall see. Excellent. We'll see. Skvortsov, in nervous haste, and not without malignant pleasure, rubbing his hands, summoned his cook from the kitchen. Here, Olga, he said to her, take this gentleman to the shed and let him chop some wood. The beggar shrugged his shoulders as though puzzled and irresolutely followed the cook. It was evident from his demeanour that he had consented to go and chop wood, not because he was hungry and wanted to earn money, but simply from shame and amour propre because he had been taken at his word. It was clear, too, that he was suffering from the effects of vodka, that he was unwell and felt not the faintest inclination to work. Skvortsov hurried into the dining-room. There, from the window which looked out into the yard, he could see the woodshed and everything that happened in the yard. Standing at the window, Skvortsov saw the cook and the beggar come by the back way into the yard and go through the muddy snow to the woodshed. Olga scrutinized her companion angrily, and jerking her elbow unlocked the woodshed and angrily banged the door open. Most likely we interrupted the woman drinking her coffee, thought Skvortsov. What a cross creature she is. Then he saw the pseudo-schoolmaster and pseudo-student seat himself on a block of wood, and, leaning his red cheeks upon his fists, sink into thought. The cook flung an axe at his feet, spat angrily on the ground, and, judging by the expression of her lips, she began abusing him. The beggar drew a log of wood towards him irresolutely, set it up between his feet, and diffidently drew the axe across it. The log toppled and fell over. The beggar drew it towards him, breathed on his frozen hands, and again drew the axe along it as cautiously as though he were afraid of hitting his galosh or chopping off his fingers. The log fell over again. Skvortsov's wrath had passed off by now. He felt sore and ashamed at the thought that he had forced a pampered, drunken and perhaps sick man to do hard, rough work in the cold. Never mind, let him go on, he thought, going from the dining room into his study. I am doing it for his good. An hour later, Olga appeared and announced that the wood had been chopped up. Here, give him half a rouble, said Skvortsov. If he likes, let him come and chop wood on the first of every month. There will always be work for him. On the first of the month, the beggar turned up and again earned half a rouble, though he could hardly stand. From that time forward, he took to turning up frequently, and work was always found for him. Sometimes he would sweep the snow into heaps or clear up the shed. At another he used to beat the rugs and the mattresses. He always received thirty to forty kopecks for his work, and on one occasion an old pair of trousers was sent out to him. When he moved, Skvortsov engaged him to assist in packing and moving the furniture. On this occasion the beggar was sober, gloomy, and silent. He scarcely touched the furniture, walked with hanging head behind the furniture vans, and did not even try to appear busy. He merely shivered with the cold and was overcome with confusion 
when the men with the vans laughed at his idleness, feebleness, and ragged coat that had once been a gentleman's. After the removal, Skvortsov sent for him. Well, I see my words have had an effect upon you, he said, giving him a rouble. This is for your work. I see that you are sober and not disinclined to work. What is your name? Lushkov. I can offer you better work. Not so rough, Lushkov. Can you write? Yes, sir. Then go with this note tomorrow to my colleague, and he will give you some copying to do. Work, don't drink, and don't forget what I said to you. Goodbye. Skvortsov, pleased that he had put a man in the path of rectitude, patted Lushkov genially on the shoulder, and even shook hands with him at parting. Lushkov took the letter, departed, and from that time forward did not come to the backyard for work. Two years passed. One day, a squ-